Hi there, welcome to Explain This, a podcast where we try to explain complex things in simpler ways for people of all ages. I'm your host Jin Kim, and today we'll talk about the Maillard reaction, the magical chemical process that browns your toast, sears your steak, and makes food oh so tasty in general. Let's get started. Doesn't it sound heavenly? There's a primal part of our brains that gets activated by the sound of food being cooked. If you're like me, you might even be actively salivating right now. Not ashamed of it. Don't get me wrong, there are plenty of great foods that are eaten raw, like fruits, salads, nuts, and sashimi, but let's face it, our bodies like cooked foods. Our ancestors discovered early on that fire isn't just good for keeping us warm and warding dangerous animals away, but you can also make a mean steak on it, which is easier to eat, allows you to release the nutrients in a more efficient way, not to mention lowering the risk of food poisoning. Cooking is essentially various kinds of chemistry experiments that we perform with ingredients to make better tasting, better looking dishes. Take an egg for example. You can fry it, poach it, scramble it, or boil it. You can mix it into omelets and frittatas, or use it to make dough for cookies and cake. All of these involve different kinds of chemical reactions and processes to produce beautiful, mouth-watering dishes. But one chemical reaction stands heads and shoulders above all of the other ones when it comes to really taking us to flavor town, and that is the Maillard reaction. You'll hear chefs talk about the Maillard reaction quite often because it is everywhere. A sizzling steak? That's the Maillard reaction. A crispy toast? Thanks to the Maillard reaction. The soothing aroma of freshly roasted coffee beans? Ugh, that's so Maillard. Learning about the Maillard reaction is not only interesting because it helps you understand why food cooked a certain way is so tasty, but it also helps you level up your cooking to produce delicious meals yourself. And you can impress your dates. So, without further ado, let's start by explaining the Maillard reaction to you as if you were a child. They say you should eat lots of different colours to have a healthy, balanced diet. But have you noticed that out of all the colours, brown foods tend to taste the best? I mean, think about it. Buttered toast, golden cookies, crispy fried chicken and chips, a juicy steak or a pork roast, the onions you have on top of hot dogs, ugh. Even adults seem to love brown food and drinks like beer, coffee, and whiskey. Well, turns out there is a relationship between the colour brown and deliciousness. It's called the browning reaction, or Maillard reaction if you want to sound learned. The secret to the Maillard reaction is making proteins, the building blocks of meat, and sugars play nicely with each other. When you cook food at a high enough heat, such as grilling it or frying it, the protein and sugars in the food start to react with each other. First, they break down into their simplest parts, like breaking down a Lego building so you can make an even more awesome spaceship. Then the pieces of the proteins and sugars dance with each other, wrestle with each other, and they combine with each other, forming all sorts of weird pairings. Kind of like when you're experimenting with different configurations of Lego pieces just to see what might work. Then these new combinations interact with each other, changing how each other look, giving each other haircuts and makeovers and stuff, until you get even more exciting cool combinations of proteins and sugar bits. Eventually, after lots and lots and lots of reactions, you end up with a whole heap of cool, weird compounds. Some of these are really big and reflect light in a specific way to give food a brown color. Others smell fantastic. 
because our noses have been trained through hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to really want these chemicals, because they mean food is cooked. And that is how you end up in Flavortown. But you can't just cook food in any old way, you have to cook it just right to get the magical effects of the Maillard reaction. If you boil food, it will be too wet and not hot enough, so you end up with a grey, tasteless piece of meat. If you stick it in a super hot furnace for too long, the food will end up charred and black like a bitter piece of coal. That's why cooking is so fun, because the more you learn about it, the more you practice, the better you get at making delicious foods. Welcome back. The Maillard reaction is a bit of a misnomer because it's actually a whole cascade of reactions. In fact, there are so many complex, small, simultaneous chemical reactions that occur between the protein and sugar bits that scientists don't even know what exactly happens. They just know the key steps. And it's only in the last 50 to 70 years that we've figured out the secrets to this crucial aspect of cooking. The Maillard reaction was first described by a French chemist named Louis Camille Maillard, and yes, I am butchering French. In 1912, he noticed that when you combine amino acids, the building blocks of proteins, and sugars, the building blocks of carbohydrates, and add the third magic ingredient, heat, to the mix, you produce a wonderfully smelling brown mixture. Now, it did take another 40 to 60 years before other scientists figured out what was actually happening during this reaction, so we can't give Mayard all the credit. Just the naming bragging rights. Funnily enough, even now we don't know every step of the reaction, and all of the different compounds involved because it's that complex of a reaction. So the Maillard reaction starts pretty basically. Like we said before, you need three ingredients, protein, sugar, and heat. Now it's easy to think that you need a piece of meat and some sugar on it for this reaction, but remember that most food types have a combination of protein, carbs, and fat in them. So even a cut of scotch fillet steak will have sugars in it, and bread has protein in it too. This is why we see the Maillard reaction happen in simple recipes, like searing an unseasoned steak or toasting a piece of white bread. It really doesn't take much to start it, if you know what you're doing. The last ingredient is a little bit pickier. You need a specific range of heat, around 140 to 170 degrees Celsius. Too little heat and the reaction won't start, while temperatures above 170 degrees will start burning the food, resulting in an acrid, bitter, sooty taste. Now bear in mind that this is the surface temperature of the food that we're talking about, so you can still stick food into an oven more than 170 degrees, because that will just heat the food up quicker. So let's imagine that we have the ingredients, a juicy steak and a heated frying pan. Feel free to imagine sliced onions instead if you're a vegetarian, or french fries in a fryer. Anything works. So what actually happens when we start to cook? Firstly, the heat starts to break apart the ingredients down to the building blocks. Remember that heat is energy, and energy comes in like a wrecking ball to destroy the structure of the cells that make up whatever living thing we're eating. This is why your skin blisters and peels when you have a burn. So in the example of our steak, the proteins that make up the muscle fibers start breaking down to release amino acids. At the same time, the cells leak the sugars and carbohydrate molecules they were using as fuel. These sugars break down into simpler, reducing sugars, like glucose and fructose. Now that we have the teeny tiny building blocks, we can build some exciting new stuff. The first thing that happens is the sugars and the amino acids start dancing around excitedly because of the heat, until some of them start colliding into each other. If we're lucky, the sugars and amino acids might be interested and give each other their numbers. Or more specifically, they might exchange pieces of their molecules. 
It's like if you met someone, felt an attraction or connection, so you lop off your hand and give it to them. Yeah, chemicals are weird, but who are we to kink shame? Anyway, not only are they giving each other pieces of themselves, but they add those new pieces to themselves, changing who they are in the process. This produces a bunch of new intermediate compounds. These compounds all have technical names like glycosylamine, ketosamine, and amidori compounds, and there are hundreds of them. So essentially, you have an orgy-porgy of sugar and amino acid molecules meeting, exchanging body parts, and becoming new interesting intermediate compounds that we don't have names for all of them because there's so many different variations. The heat makes them dance faster and faster, permitting even more exchange and interactions, like alcohol at a party. The more reactions happen, the more intermediate compounds are formed, and then these intermediate compounds start to react with each other to produce even fancier, cool, complex compounds. Now, like I said, scientists still haven't identified all of the compounds involved in the Maillard reaction, and we aren't sure of all the complex reactions because there are just so many. Every protein in every sugar produces different combinations with each other, which is why there are so many delicious recipes out there, and why experimenting with new ingredients is so fun and rewarding in cooking. Take, for example, the ridiculous yet wonderful dish that is fried chicken on waffles. You think sweet and savory, fried food and baking shouldn't mix. But it combines so perfectly. It makes scientific sense too. Chicken is much higher in protein than sugar, and waffles will have a lot more sugar and carbs than protein. So the Maillard reactions in each dish are different. But combining the two dishes, you get more than double the flavor, and your brain just explodes like that colorful scene in Ratatouille. Eventually, Maillard reaction produces what are called aromatic compounds. These are molecules that our noses can detect in the air and tell our brain that there is deliciousness nearby. There are thiopentones that have a meaty smell, there are oxazoles that smell sweet and nutty like caramel, and there are pyrazines that give food a roasted, toasted smell like toasted marshmallows. There are even special compounds called allopyridine that enhances meaty, sweety, and salty flavors, so it deepens whatever the other compounds smell like. Remember that a large portion of our taste sensation, up to 70%, is the smell of food. So these aromatic compounds are what really makes delicious flavors. There are many reasons why our brains are hardwired to love these aromatic compounds. It's because they're products of foods cooked at high heat. So we know that they must be easier to digest because of the tough tissues being all broken down by the heat energy. But we also know that heat kills bacteria, meaning cooked foods are safer to eat. So evolution gave us an awesome reward for really craving fried chicken and roast pork with a beautiful crackling crust, making us feel happy and comforted when we eat foods with these amazing aromatic compounds, because it's safer and easier to get the energy from them. See? Told you the Maillard reaction was important. But we're not done yet. The Maillard reaction produces hundreds and thousands of compounds. One of the key groups of compounds that get made are the melanoidins. These are giant compounds, like a huge Frankenstein of a molecule, that are so big that they're good at reflecting light, specifically in the brown color range. These compounds are what give food that have gone through the Maillard reaction their characteristic brown color. Think about it. Roast pork, grilled steak, fried chicken, popcorn, roasted coffee, toast, beer, caramelized onion, they're all brown. Brown is the color of deliciousness. That said, not all brown things are delicious, obviously. For example, you might be thinking that a bruised apple or an old avocado doesn't really taste better when it's gone brown. 
The Maillard reaction is what we call a non-enzymatic browning reaction. This contrasts to the browning of certain foods when they're exposed to oxygen for too long, like apples and avocados. These browning reactions happen because enzymes within the fruits are breaking down compounds called phenols to produce the brown pigments and bitter compounds that we associate with old fruit. Alright, so let's summarize the Maillard reaction because we've covered a lot of steps. First, take some protein and some sugars and combine them in 140 to 170 degrees Celsius heat. Second, the heat will release more protein and sugars, then break them down to the building blocks, amino acids and reducing sugars. Third, the amino acids and reducing sugars react and interact with each other to make intermediate compounds. Fourth, the intermediate compounds react with each other, taking you to Flavortown. I mean, they produce aromatic compounds and the brown melanoidins, the same difference. Fifth, bon appetit. Let's take a short break, and when we're back, we'll talk about how we can use Maillard reactions to improve our cooking, and to optimize our cooking techniques to harness the full potential of this delicious chemical experiment. Welcome back. So now that we know about the ins and outs of the Maillard reaction, we can appreciate the saying that cooking is a science. Specifically, it's clever use of chemistry that lets us make delicious foods. It's really the best part about cooking. The more you learn and the more you experiment and try new things, the better you get at applying knowledge and making amazing new dishes that expand your palate. It's like being a scientist and getting to eat your experiments. Double reward. Okay, so knowing that the Maillard reaction is chemistry in action, we can change how we cook food so we maximize the amount of Maillard reaction that happens. I'll highlight this with an extreme example. Boiled meats. Meat is such a delicious food group, but only when prepared properly. You can take a beautiful cut of beef and make a seared steak, a stir-fry, a deep-fried schnitzel, or a roast. But if you decide to stick it in a pot of boiling water, what would happen? I mean, hot water is still heat, right? Ugh, just thinking about it makes me physically ill. If you've ever had meat just boiled in water, you'll know that it tastes flavorless and it's really tough to chew. That's why when you put meat in stews or braise it, you cook it for a long time in a flavorful broth so that it tenderizes and all the other kinds of flavors soak into the meat instead. Boiling is a great example of what happens when you have no Maillard reaction happening in the cooking. Remember that water boils at 100 degrees Celsius. Another important fact about water is that it takes a lot of energy to heat up. You'll know this firsthand from how long it takes to bring a pot of cold water to boil in the stove or from how long a hot water bottle lasts in the wintertime. So if you cook foods by boiling it, you're essentially cooking it at a steady 100 degrees Celsius, way too low for any Maillard reaction to occur. Plus, the water will leach away the proteins and sugars that do get released from all the broken down tissues. All the tender tissues break down first, so you're left with just the tough tissues like tendons and fascia. And this is why boiled meats are often grayish and flavorless and tough, compared to a beautiful brown roast chicken. It's why you'll notice that recipes that call for boiling often use ingredients that are delicate and only need some heat, like leafy vegetables, or foods that will be well seasoned after cooking, such as a boiled egg. Alternatively, you might want to just soften the food, such as boiling potatoes before mashing them, and that's fine. Even then, you're adding butter to provide more aromatic compounds because it will be quite bland on its own. Now, we can apply this knowledge in our cooking with our first lesson. If you want Maillard reaction, dry your food. This might take the form of literally dabbing a piece of meat with paper towels to soak up the moisture, or only salting the potatoes just before roasting them. 
to avoid too much moisture from being drawn out. If you don't dry your food, the excess water will suck up all the valuable heat in the pan, and your food just won't get hot enough to produce enough Maynard reaction. Because your food won't heat up above 100 degrees until the water is boiled and evaporated off. For example, if you're making a stir-fry and you don't pat dry the ingredients first, you'll end up with a grey-brown soup in your pan that leaches all the flavour away instead of getting a nice, sizzling, fragrant dish. For a similar reason, you need to use high heats for optimal Maillard reaction. Make sure to preheat your pan or oven before adding food, because otherwise, your food will start cooking without any Maillard reaction, which means you're missing out on all the delicious flavours. The high heat also helps evaporate the water away, further optimising the cooking environment for the Maillard reaction. At this point, you might be thinking to yourself, hang on Jen, there are plenty of dishes that don't include roasting or frying or grilling that still taste delicious. How do you explain the deliciousness of a curry or a pumpkin soup or a beef bourguignon? Well, just because we have an amazing tool like the Maillard reaction, it doesn't mean we have to use it for everything. Like you say, plenty of dishes won't need any Maillard reaction, as long as you create the aromatic compounds in other forms. For example, a fresh salad with some dressing, or a simple soup that's been simmered for a while. But what's important to know is that even in dishes where you wouldn't expect to find the Maillard reaction, you can sneak it in for some extra yumminess. Let's take a stew for example, such as a bourguignon. Even though the majority of the dish is stewed, as in cooked in a liquid over a low-medium heat for a long time, there is still a crucial step where you can sneak in more flavour. You don't just add the beef into the stew, you sear it first. This way, you get the best of both worlds, the aromatic compounds and flavours from the Maillard reaction, plus the mellow, cosy heartiness that comes with stewing the beef for a long time. Even a sandwich has hidden Maillard reactions, in the form of the bread. The Maillard reaction is a crucial step in baking that produces the sweet, nutty, toasty flavours. This is why baking's a golden brown. Maillard reaction! Whether it be a loaf of bread, a croissant, or a chocolate chip cookie, the Maillard reaction is delivering powerful, yummy compounds to your nose for extra flavour at many different steps. Now before the next section, here's one more handy kitchen science tip. Like all biochemical reactions, the Maillard reaction is sensitive to its environment. We've already talked about temperature, you need 140 to 170 degrees for optimal Maillard reactions. Much like how our bodies are kept at 36 degrees for all our cells to work optimally. But another factor that can affect how well or how fast a reaction can occur is the acidity of the environment, or the pH level. If the food is quite acidic, like you've added tomatoes or vinegar, then it will slow the Maillard reaction down, so your food might cook without getting brown and aromatic. You can use this to your advantage if a food is browning too quickly as well. Like if your meatballs are getting super brown super quickly but you don't think the inside's cooked, you can cook it with some more tomatoes and a teeny bit of vinegar to slow the Maillard reaction down. Conversely, if you want to speed up the Maillard reaction because you want more flavours or you're just impatient, then you can make the environment more basic. No, not like a basic bit. I mean a higher pH, more alkaline. You can do this with baking soda, which is sodium bicarbonate. A simple base that all kitchens have. For example, you can make caramelized onions much quicker if you add a sprinkle of baking soda, because you accelerate the Maillard reaction. Oh, and side note, caramelized onions aren't technically caramelized. Most of the browning is still the Maillard reaction. It's a bit of a misnomer because onions have sugars and you associate the brown sweetness with caramel, but caramelization is a distinct different process. You'll notice if you've ever made caramel at home, 
you have to cook the sugar at a low heat, about 120 degrees Celsius. Caramelization is similar to Maillard reaction in that it still involves a lot of subreactions to change the form of the sugars, but it doesn't involve any proteins or amino acids. It's just sugar on sugar action. Cookies are the best example of undergoing both caramelization and the Maillard reaction. The caramelization of sugars at the start of its journey gives it lots of sweet, sugary goodness, while the Maillard reaction adds the crispy texture on the outside while adding a bunch of deep, complex scents and aromas such as nuttiness and toastiness. All of this just shows how wonderfully complex and intricate the world of culinary science is. And this is why people go deep into learning about foods. Whether it be choosing a different coffee bean every month to distinguish the brightness and darkness of different beans depending on the roast, or going to a whiskey and chocolate tasting, or remaking a favorite dish with slight variations just to see what kind of new aromatic compounds you might make in the process. One way or another, there are infinite possibilities in the world of cooking. And the more you learn about the science behind it, and the more you think creatively to apply that knowledge in different ways, the more delicious the foods you'll eat become. Isn't that wonderful? I think we'll call it a day there because any more food talking and I'll end up making a whole batch of cookies right now to eat with ice cream while binging a TV show. Although that might happen anyway, because now I've got the thought in my head and I can't get it out. Oh. <laughs> so what did we learn today? We learned that when you cook food in the right conditions, with enough heat and not too much wetness, you cause the Maillard reaction to occur, which makes the food oh so delicious. We learned that the Maillard reaction is a chain of many small simultaneous chemical reactions that occur between proteins and sugars, transforming them to produce new complex flavors, aromas, and colors. We learned that our bodies crave the products of this reaction because cooked foods are easier to eat while less likely to cause food poisoning. We learned about how we can apply the Maillard reaction to our cooking, from drying our ingredients, searing meats before adding them to a stew, and playing around with acids and bases like a mad kitchen scientist. Lastly, we learned that food is awesome, and the best thing in life, with lots of intricacies and complexities that you can spend a lifetime learning through cooking and eating. So go out there and make and enjoy some tasty, tasty food. For today's 2 Minute Explain, let's talk about what makes baking wonderfully fluffy and soft. One of the best qualities of baking is the texture. Imagine a fluffy loaf of bread, or a sponge cake, or a soft, freshly made cookie that melts in your mouth. You'll notice that a lot of bakings have a spongy, airy texture, because it's full of air. What gives baking their light fluffiness is trapped air bubbles that spread out the dough mixture as it bakes, making it softer and easier to eat. To achieve this fluffiness, you need something called a leavening agent. Sounds like a secret spy, and that's because it kind of is. These agents, such as yeast or baking powder, are responsible for sneaking in gases in the dough, so that when you bake it in the oven, the gases will expand and form delicious dough bubbles, hundreds and thousands of them. Maybe that will make you feel less bad about eating that cookie. I mean, it's mostly air, apparently. And the difference is night and day. Think of the difference between those hard, flat cookies from the supermarket versus the super crumbly, soft, thick cookies that your mum makes. Or a wonderfully pillowy brioche versus the chewy flatbread such as naan. Delicious, but different texture. The most common source of gas for leavening is carbon dioxide. Yeast is a wonderful biological leavener because it eats sugar and breathes out carbon dioxide, just like us. This is why you proof dough when you make bread. You have to let the yeast do its work and fill the dough with lots and lots of carbon dioxide. If you squish this dough, you'll actually hear the gas hiss out like a fart. 
The other common leavener we use in the kitchen is baking powder. Baking powder contains both an acid and a base. Remember the volcano experiment in school where you mix vinegar and baking soda to make a foamy eruption? Well, baking powder contains both baking soda and an acid powder. So when it's added to the batter, it forms a chemical reaction that releases lots of carbon dioxide. Lastly, don't forget about the most common source of gas in baking, water. When the cookie dough is heating up in the oven, small pockets of water in the batter will evaporate into steam, which expands and forms more bubbles. There's a lot more to leaveners and adjusting recipes for fluffier or chewier cookies, but that's for another day. Hopefully this helps you understand why cookies are awesome. Like you needed a reason, ha! Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Explain This. Hope you've learned something interesting and maybe even useful today. We'll see you next time on the first Friday of next month. Bye for now. Explain This was written and hosted by me, Jin Kim. If you'd like to suggest a topic or just send a lovely message, you can email me at explainthiscast at gmail.com or follow me on Facebook or Twitter 